This is Radiance Tape Number JD-167, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, Growth, the Law of Life. Now this morning, the message I have to minister on is kind of like a different aspect of the Lord. I'm going to be ministering on it because over the years I've come to some conclusions in watching people's lives and what the results of those were. You know, not my conclusions are not very important, but these conclusions are that I'm making here because they're based on the Word of God. And what I have done is observed that when certain people behave in a certain pattern, then a certain kind of result follows at the end of their life. Not the very end, but long before the very end. You can see all the traits of it all the characteristic and qualities of it developing. And when a certain other behavior pattern is the way of that person's life, then a certain other set of traits begin to develop. Now, just as certain as can be. Now, you see, if this set of traits worked this way occasionally with this person, but completely differently with this one, this one this way, but a little differently over here, then you would say, well, those set of traits must not be important. But when you see that set of traits working always the same result in just every case, unless the person abandons those set and takes on another one, or if the person has this set of traits, you see it working out something, and then if they abandon that and take on this set, then their life begins to turn around and go this way. Then it becomes clear that this set of traits produces this, always, and this set of traits produces this. Now, if this is always bad and this is always good, then it would seem a very logical thing, and humans are logical beings, although they many times don't act logically. But I mean, they can reason something out logically. They, if you would say to them, see, if you do this, it will always end up bad, and if you do this, it will always end up good. So which way do you think you should take? They will always reason logically and say, well, obviously this way here. But, and then they will tell you maybe why they should do this one over here. Because, well, not because of me and because of my emotions, because of the way I was hurt and because of my youth and because of my, then we will choose this way to go over here. Now, a good many people, because of this little trait that I'm mentioning, see that the ability to see something and say, yes, I see that says that. However, for this reason or the other reason, I should be doing this or I must do this or this is the way I'll have to go for now or I can't help myself. Whatever reason they have, they generally take on a set of traits that produce in them the very opposite to what they hope for in their life, the very opposite to what God hopes for in their life. Now, you remember I told you when you become saved, the Bible says we no longer have a spirit of fear, but of love, power. What's that third thing? A sound mind. See, all right. Now, it means when we're converted, we have come out of the old insanity, the unsound mind, which produces unsound behavior patterns. For instance, if you see a man, and this man, you see him living in abject poverty, and uh, you speak to his neighbors and say, uh, who is this man here? Uh, well, he's uh, kind of off in his head. Well, I was wondering about that, because he came out of there and said that he wanted to make me a millionaire, and that if I would stay with him for 30 days, he would also make me the king of England. So I was rather uh, upset by this. Uh, this man doesn't seem to be acting quite rationally. He said, oh, yes, he does that all the time. He's written all of us a check for a million, two million, three million, ten million dollars. And we kind of humor him. And uh, all of us are the kings of England or the queens of Scotland or the... Uh, so you say, 
Boy, that poor man, he's not harming anybody, but he certainly is all messed up in his lifetime. We would say he is crazy. Now, if he actually damages somebody, we say for his own sake and others, we're going to have to put him away and take him completely out of the scene of action. All right. Now, in our Christian experience, there are many of us that though we have come out of the completely unsound mind where we're actively practicing sin, we are not at the same time having come out actively practicing sanity. We're somewhere in between, still practicing some insanity, occasionally practicing sanity. Now, I did this for a number of years. I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I received him as my personal Savior. I opened myself up to what is called by us the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Scripture. I spoke in other tongues. I began to preach the gospel. I fulfilled that call. I saw souls saved. And yet there was working in my life because certain things I never understood or really submitted myself to. There were certain aspects of my life that there was a growing insanity in it. See, the longer I practice something, even though I don't increase the degree of it, the more and more it will finally come to a place where it will break out of me and that insanity will produce ruin. So we're constantly working to clear all of those actions out of our life that are contrary to the truth and to strengthen the things that are good. Hold fast to that which is good, reject that which is evil. Now that's God's pattern. Now, a week ago I told you that many of us have come only a short distance out of. So we're still looking at God from an aberrated point of view. We're still looking at life from us being the center of it. So now we were over here as a sinner. We were saying, I want, I need, I demand, I must have, you must give me. Now we come to Christians and we say, the Lord wants me to have, so give me this. And the Lord wants me this, so give me this. And the Lord, not much different. Just a little tiny bit movement. But thank God, we are saved. Many of us filled with the Spirit and everyone should be. And no reason why you shouldn't be. But still, we're lacking Something, And I'm going to speak about that today, an ability to look at what the Word of God says and accept that point of view. Now, because we do not, many Christians after a period of two, three, four, five years, after having started off with tremendous enthusiasm and joy, oh, to be a Christian, just wonderful, oh man, I just want to do anything for Jesus and so forth, after two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten years, very cynical, very, um, well, I tell you, it's not what I say. Well, I, well, I, see, very cynical. And I said, talked to you many times about seeing Christians 40 years in the Lord, very, 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 very worn out serving Jesus. But of course, they were not really serving Jesus because they never accepted his point of view. Now, for many years, I experienced exactly that kind of life. I tell you for sure. And what it did is brought about the breakup of my home, the loss of my children, the destruction of my ministry, the shaming of my name, but most of all, and most terrible of all, the shaming of the name of the Lord by my actions in my life. Now, finally, some semblance of sanity came back to me because I was able to do something that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And that's something that's going to be hard for you maybe to receive. Maybe you'll just receive it very easily. But for most, it's pretty hard. Because what the Lord is saying is some pretty hard stuff. And we've come to a conclusion about the Lord that the Lord is like Captain Nice Guy or something like that. No matter what we do, he says, oh, well, don't worry about it. It's all, it's all fine. It's all good. You know, all better now and so forth. And uh, don't cry over this. And uh, I've already forgotten about it. 
And we don't really look carefully at what the Lord Jesus himself said and what the apostles really said. We've got almost like a promise mentality. Now, when I was a young Christian, I don't do this anymore, although I know what the promises are, basically, a good many of them anyhow, and uh, find more all the time. But I always look for something. It used to be I had a little promise box. How many of you ever seen a little promise box, a little promise, you pull a promise out and says, Lord promises this, and the Lord promises that. Well, I've learned over the years to any time I see a promise, check very carefully what the condition is that goes with the promise. There's no unconditional promise. Just like anything. No, you find out when you read carefully, he's not saying anything. He said this, this, and this, and then anything. Or no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. See, it's a whole different kind of a way of looking at things. But you promise, no good thing will he withhold. Then it stops from them to walk uprightly. See, it's a different kind of thing. Now, we begin to say to ourselves, there is something that the Lord requires of us. Then we begin to ask ourselves, what, Lord, do you require of me? What is your attitude toward me as a human being? What do you want out of me? See, my posture in life was to tell God what I wanted out of him. And even when I was all completely messed up, I mean, I was separated from my wife nearly three years, my children, my family all messed up, my ministry name gone, I still was not very concerned about the fact that I shamed the name of the Lord. That wasn't my big concern. I was concerned about the fact that I was living in an old unfinished shack and just barely getting by and, uh, oh, this terrible, I'm so lonely. And I say, God, why? Now, God didn't say, well, because I've kind of been slipping up on you down there, Jim, and I really messed up a few times, and I overlooked a few things. He said, not me, you. Say, Lord, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done this? Say, now, when I came to the place where I stopped saying of God, why didn't you do your part, Lord, and began to let him point out by the Holy Spirit what was wrong with me, a whole transformation of my life took place. I went back to the Word of God to actively practice its teachings. Now, some of the things that I'm going to bring out today are going to seem a little bit startling to you. So I'd like you to get yourself prepared for that, you know. And normally, we tell you, sit forward on your seat. I'm telling you, for this message, you better sit back in your seat well. Okay. Now, I'm going to make some points here. I'm not going to preach on these except just to read them off here, kind of give a basic idea here. Many people are not fulfilled in their Christian walk. I think you wouldn't have to go very far to talk to many people. Well, no, it just isn't what I thought, and it isn't the joy, and where's the peace, and where's this, and where's that, and I thought the Lord said all these promises, and uh, you know, every promise, the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line, and so forth and so on. Their expectation of Jesus is aberrated. In other words, they see Jesus in one way, when actually the Bible portrays him in another way. See now, like I preached the other day on the gentleness of the Lord, the gentleness of God, the gentleness of the Spirit, the gentleness. Well now, if we take that as an absolute, that's the way Christ is all the time, then we would overlook other scriptures where he said, bring my enemies before me and slay them. See, he said, oh, that's not gentle. Well, yes, but you have to see where he is gentle and under what conditions he is gentle. And then what conditions he can get pretty heavy-handed to. See? And I know that about myself because I've read it in the Word and I say, All right, Lord, I'm going to keep away from these conditions over here, which will cause you to become heavy-handed. And I'm going to stay over in these conditions where gentleness is your way of dealing 
with us. All right, so their expectations of Jesus aberrated. They have a completely wrong point of view about the Lord. They examine the Christian walk from their point of view, from the point of view of their own needs, and do not consider Christ's righteous requirements. Christ says, I require of you something. See, you're telling me what you want. I'm telling you what I want. I must have. But very few people, very few Christians, and very few churches get around to really preaching that part of it all. You just don't get into it. It's like, uh, oh, no, don't tell the people that. That's kind of negative and keep them all happy. And Well, listen, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe one day we're all going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what the Bible says. I believe that. I'll read to you about that a little bit later. And I believe that. See, I don't get up here on a Sunday morning and say, well, I wonder what hash I'll give them this time. Maybe get JD14 out and let them have that one. That's, that's, I was always a good one. Roll them in the aisles. Yeah, I think that's a good one. We'll, we'll do that one. And, uh, it's up to me to get before God on a Sunday morning, whatever time he's moving on me and saying, oh Lord, give me a message. And not just a message, but anoint me, cleanse me, purify me, so I'm able to give a message to your people. Lord, anoint their hearts so they can receive it. So on that day when I stand before you, you'll be able to say to me, you delivered my message. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not why did you get up there and give them that slum gullion. Now, too many preachers, it's almost like they think any truth is good truth. Any truth is not good truth. The truth that you need on a Sunday morning or any other time you come to church is that exact message that Jesus Christ intends you to have on that particular Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever day you're meeting together. And I cannot simply get up there and say, oh, well, anything at all. No, because if I do, I will be held accountable for it and I will answer for it. See, now that's something that has to be understood, that this man is an accountable man. I must account to God for the deeds done in this body, whether good or bad. And also you must too. All right, so keep that in mind. Christ's righteous requirements. But they never get around that because they never consider those righteous requirements. They consider salvation a right rather than a gift. Now, salvation is owed by God to no person on this earth. He doesn't owe it to an innocent baby. And he doesn't owe it to a man whose life, 80 or 90 years, or like Anna reads in the Bible, all her life was full of good deeds. He gave her salvation, but it was a gift, a gift of God. See, it's a free gift. If it's a by right, then we can say, you owe me this, I demand this. Like many people today, we demand our rights in this country. And you wonder what rights they're demanding. Say, well, what is the right you're demanding? Say, I mean, what have you done to earn this right or who bestowed this right upon you? And many people think they have a right just because they're alive to something or other. Say, we don't have a right just because we're alive to something or other. We have the opportunity to be something and do something, but not the right that I demand from you because I'm alive. No, I don't can't demand from you because I'm alive. See, I can come to you and say, help me because I'm alive and I need help. Or I can say, I put myself in your hands, will you guide me? But say, I demand of you this. Why? Did you preach to us? Did you pray for us? Did you labor among us? Did you... No, I'm just alive. Well, that's not a, that, there's no right bestowed by being alive. See, Now, there is a privilege bestowed by being alive. You can do something, but you have no right to something. See, that's a different kind of thing altogether. Now, 
But they consider salvation, however, a right rather than a gift. Not realizing that in our flesh there dwells no good thing, that we were totally depraved, that we were absolutely reprehensible before God, we were sinners exceedingly in the eyes of God, and we had lost every possible claim on anything that God might have given. We all have sinned and come short of this. See, we have sinned. Not we are sinners and come short. We have sinned. There's an active participation that I took place, you took place in this life. We sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now we say, now I demand my rights. Well, I'm thankful to God we never got our rights. Because you got your rights, we'd all be in hell. If God dealt with us fairly, we'd all be in hell. But he dealt with us in grace, a free gift of God. The now free gift of God, we once again have life, an opportunity to do something, an opportunity to be something, an opportunity to produce something. We had lost that. Now we come to God and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, that was the Lord saying, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Now that's a whole lot different from saying, well, I'm here, Lord, and aren't you blessed? No, it's the other way around. I'm saved, and how thankful I am to you, oh God. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to say? So it's a different kind of approach to God. Most people have the other approach altogether, like, Lord, what are you going to do for me today? Now, why this approach must fail? Because there's no set of promises to back up the position. You cannot find a set of promises say, now you've come into the world, you exist, God owes it to you to save you. You are now saved, and now God's going to bless you, and you don't have to do a thing about it. Just kind of walk around, be a nice guy, and, uh, you know, the, and the negatives. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do that kind of thing, and then I will do all these wonderful things for you. And many people say that. They say, well, Lord, I don't do this, and I don't, I give up this for you. Say a man is smoking cigarettes, and he gives that up for Jesus. He says, I gave it up for you, Lord. Like, the Lord doesn't have a problem with smoking. You have the problem with smoking. The Lord isn't going to get lung cancer. You're going to get lung cancer. See, and you ought to say, thank God you took it away. I'm free. I praise you, Lord. Like, I gave it up for you, Jesus. Like, yeah, it's a big deal. And then we chew in tobacco, the same thing, stuff running all down our mouths and all over us and plopping, 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 plopping. See, and then, oh, I gave it up for you, Jesus. Thank the Lord you got free of it. Hallelujah. See. Or and I say, on and on we go with a whole list of things that we talk about, I gave these things up for you, Jesus. You ought to be saying, hallelujah, I got free of them, see. Now what do you want me to do that I'm free of them? Instead of saying, see, I gave it up for you, Jesus, now what are you going to give me? See, he already gave you something. You got free of it, see. All right, now, this approach must fail because there's no set of promises to back up the position. And we use these promises, I explained earlier, we use them all wrong. Here's the things we expect out of our Christian experience, and they're totally haywire things. If we go at them the way we're putting those things first, like the Constitution says that it, it's the right of every man to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is the right of every man that no one else should take his life on this earth but God. See, that's, that's correct. And liberty, that no one else should imprison him except under certain circumstances laid down by God's law but God. And the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is God's to give. I tell you, there's no way guaranteed to get you less happiness in this life than to pursue it. See, if you set happiness as my government to pursue happiness, I guarantee you, you will find misery. 
See, it's just like looking for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You go searching after it, you're never going to find it there, because it's not there. But if you don't pursue happiness, you turn a whole different course of action, at the end, you'll be happy. See, that's just the way it will be. All right, now, so here's what we look for. We want continuous happiness. We want good, fulfilling jobs. You know, like we're on a sawmill job or something like that. Maybe that's our lot in life, or we have an office job, or we have a sales job, and, you know, we go out and we knock on a door, or we go in and we meet the head of this company. He says, no, you're the seventh salesman been here today, and I'm tired of you guys. Now get out! See? And we, oh, 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 we go, oh, God, how could you give me a job like this? Like, see, like God has failed somehow to give us this idea we have that, we should have just walked in there and said, Jim Durkin is here. Oh, here's my money, Jim Durkin. Sell me stuff. See? Like, oh, wow, what a job. Wow, what a fantastic job. See? See? There's nothing like that in this life. That's kind of like fairy tale mentality. And they lived happily ever after. That's my grandmother about that. I said, what about that? I said, not like that. See? All right, she was living in the real world. Here's the fairy tales, you know. Now we're coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Become a Christian and all these wonderful things. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be added. See, not like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See? <laughs> all right. Good, fulfilling jobs, plenty of money, no problems ever at the end of the month or the beginning of the month or any other time, no tires ever blow out, TV set doesn't blow up, radio doesn't turn off, lights stay on all the time. Good family life. No, never have an argument with your husband and wife. There's no such thing. And church is just balmy and blissful and flowing and children all grow up and just, oh, daddy and mom are totally wonderful. I obey everything they say. Yes, hallelujah. Good emotional fulfillment. Oh, I feel good with this. And this is wonderful what's happening to me. And I am, there is no such thing. In a secure old age, oh, how we strive for that one. I want to, when I get down to the end of my days, I want the Social Security Administration to work, and I, I want a cost of living increase every six months, and I, I want uh, uh, money to come in the mailbox, and I want... Uh, these are all the, it's, it's a dream, kind of like a, ah. See, and then when that doesn't happen, which it doesn't happen, I say, God, why? Your promises. We've never even looked around the other side and say, what did God really say? Now, what did he really say? Is that what he said he was going to do? And that's what we're in this life for? No, it is not. No trials or little trials. A good house, good car, good furniture, vacations, two weeks to one month each year. Now, I have found peace and contentment. I see my life is generally productive and growing. That is concerning the things of the kingdom. Now, I want to say, which I think I've told you before, and I'm going to repeat it again because sometimes you don't remember the things I tell you before. That's why I tell them again. Sometimes I can't remember if I told them before, but I'm going to tell it now. <laughs> Now, I did tell this one before several times. I was going down the road a couple of years ago now, driving with my wife. She was resting, and I was moving the car along down the highway. And um, word of the Lord came to me and said, Ask me now what you will. Anything that you need now to make you happy. 
the, anything you need. Now remember, the Bible says a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now that's the word of the Lord. A man's life does not consist. doesn't say it consists 60-40, 30-70, 50-50. It says it does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses. Paul says another way, he said, having food and raiment, therewith let us be content. In other words, if I have food on the table, a roof over my head, reasonable roof, and clothes on my back, hide my nakedness. So be content. See? Now, therefore, what he's saying is, I can in that state be content. Not like, well, yeah, thanks God, I'm glad I got it. Now, I know I'm glad I'm grateful for it, but why can't I have this? Why? Well, that's not content. That's frustrated. And many Christians are frustrated with their lot in life. Like, oh, look at that piece of ragged old dirty furniture. We have to, oh, look at this food. Ah, man, hamburger and... They, that's the way they, they talk. They say, okay, time to give thanks now. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. See, it's not joy. That's... That's coming at the Lord from a completely different mentality and point of view, which does not allow your heart to be overflowing with grace. There's no place in the Bible he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt eat steak, not hamburger. See, there's nothing in the Bible that speaks about stuff like that. You know, he will add all these things in our mind, all these things in our mind is like steak and chops and lamb and roast and money in the bank and diamonds and gold and silver and brick. Oh, wow, and vacations. See, okay, let's say that were true. Let's come over here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, Lord. But let's talk about all these things over here because... Uh, no, let's talk about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's talk about that. You lay these aside. I will add them to you. See, add means once you have this, once you have this, then I will add this. And I will decide what should be added. See, but we're not into this one. We're into this one. Now I say I found peace and contentment by coming to terms with the reality as stated in God's word and stopping my giving terms to God. Well, Lord, here's what I want. Here's what I feel is right. And this is what I think. And this is, see, I don't bargain with God. I don't argue with God. If God wants me in New York, and I'm telling you, I don't particularly like the city of New York, although I'm, I do well there when I'm there, but I, it's not my choice of a place. It's too crowded and too fast moving. I just don't like too much pressure there. But if God tells me to go to New York, I'm going to go to New York. See, I don't have any... Oh, God, I have New York. I mean, I can't handle this kind of stuff. If he tells me to go to New York, his grace will be sufficient for me. I'm going to New York, and that's all there is to it. And I'm going to tell you something. If he tells me to go to the middle of Africa, I'm going to go to the middle of Africa. If he tells me to go to the North Pole, I'm going to the North Pole. Whatever he tells me, wherever he sends me, he's Lord. See, now I've come to terms with something. I've come to terms with an idea that the scripture states very clearly. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I'm not Lord. I have no decision-making authority of my own whatever. Now, I can usurp the right. But I lost the right a long time ago. I lost it in sin. And when Jesus redeemed me from the curse of sin and translated me in the kingdom of his, his life, God put me in the kingdom of his dear son. I forever, though 
I don't act like it sometimes, see? But for the most part, I can tell you over the years I have learned, and even when I don't act like it, I quickly get myself straightened up and say, Sorry, Lord, that was not my decision to make. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? Now, see, with those things clear in my mind, then I am able to do what God wants me to do. I am able to be what God wants me to be. Now, the result has been, I today have no inner conflicts whatever. Now, I, that may sound a little bit like arrogance to you or some kind of crazy thing, because maybe you're going through a lot of inner conflicts. Oh, man, I, you know, what are you talking about, no inner conflicts? I'm saying that I go through no inner conflicts today. I don't have any battles with God. I don't have any battles with my own emotions like, oh, maybe I should backslide today, or maybe I feel like I have a right in this thing. I'm not in any argument with God, and I'm not in any argument with my fellow man. I speak the word of God as I see it. I don't live in fear that I'm going to be thrown out of the church on my head, or that I'm going to lose my ministry, or that I'm going to lose my fortune, because none of those things really mean anything to me unless God wants me to have them. And if he wants me to have them, no one can touch them anyhow. See, it's totally in his hands. He is the ruler. But I've had to step-by-step posture myself to accept God's point of view. And without that point of view being accepted, life will never produce anything very joyful for anyone. All right, now, I'm going to read some things, some scriptures. I say this peace came out of an acceptance of life from God's point of view. Now, would you turn with me? We're just going to look at some scriptures. The scriptures that I began to read as I began to move toward this concept that I'm speaking to you about. Now, I didn't have it when I was a young Christian, and I didn't have it when I was a middle-aged Christian, if you want to put it that way. Now, I should have had it, and I would have had it if somebody had told me about it. Though I had read the scriptures, most people just kind of poo-pooed them. Like, oh, yeah, well, sure, but uh, here's, here's the real thing you have to look at. All right, Matthew 25. And I'm going to start here now at verse um, 13. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. In other words, that the Son of Man is coming back. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, every one of you have been entrusted with the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ to some extent. You have been entrusted with his Holy Spirit. You have been entrusted with the truth of his word. You have been entrusted by his divine presence within your lives, living in your body. And many of you have been entrusted with gifts far beyond that. You have gifts that need to be developed, gifts that certainly need to be given to Jesus, abilities, powers that are given to you by the Lord, that need to be developed as fully as you can in this life. Now, I don't know how full that would be if you would turn them loose, but most of us have divided interests. And we're much more interested in getting something than we are carefully giving ourselves to the developing of these gifts in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, a second thing that I want to make, and you'll see this come out in this scripture, maybe I should just leave it for there, because it will come out very clearly, is differences in ability. We do not all have the same ability. So what I'm saying to you carefully, and I want you to very carefully listen to me. How many are listening right now to what I'm saying? Very carefully. All right. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be up here behind the pulpit. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be establishing churches throughout the world. You don't have to be raising up leaders. That's the work that God has given me to do. 
But that is what he has given me to do. And because he's given me to do it, I better be about my father's business. See, if I decide, well, I don't want to raise up leaders anymore. And I don't want to establish churches anymore. And what I'd like to do is just lead a good Christian life. And I want to go about my business. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got enough money laid up now for many days. And uh, I just want to take life easy. And always, I always want to go and see the pyramids. And I always want to go to see the Taj Mahal. And I always just, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm going to be a good Christian while I do all these things. I'm going to tell you something. I know for me that would be disaster. That would be the ruin of my entire life and being. See, because I tried it that way. I never had the money to go to the Taj Mahal, but uh, I had similar uses that I made of what little bit of things God did give me, and I saw the disaster that resulted. Now, I come to a different conclusion. That when God has given me an ability, he expects something out of me. Though there are differences in ability, I have the ability to do these things. You may have less ability. God seems to have given me an ability of great physical energy so that I can go long hours if I have to and make myself even go when I'm exhausted or tired. I just simply say, get up. You have work to do now. Keep moving. I can do that. Now, some others can't. They just, they can't do it, and I don't expect them to do it. See, so I'm not saying I expect you to do what I do, but I'm saying you must do what you are called to do. And you must look at that and say, Lord, what do you expect out of me? What am I supposed to do? See, so each one contributing their gifts to the limit of their abilities, then they've done all that they're required to do. We're not expected to be each other. So don't emulate me for an example, except as morality is that example. I live a good, clean life. Emulate that. Or I trust in the Lord. Emulate that. Or I believe in Jesus. Emulate that. Or I follow him. Emulate that. But don't say, well, if we were all really holy, then we would be preaching the gospel behind the pulpit. No, that's not true at all. Each man according to his ability. All right, now, look here at verse uh, 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, called his slaves, and entrusted his possession to them. Now, notice the word he uses of these people, slaves, which is also the word that Paul used about himself. I am a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard for us to understand that word. We like to emphasize, I'm the friend of the Lord, or I'm the brother of the Lord, or I'm, uh, but we're also something else. Not a bad word to say it. I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he owns me. That means what he wants, I do. That means, and I'll bring out some scriptures here, they're quite startling about that relationship of bond-slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you knew you were bond-slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's good, because I'm going to tell you what that means if you don't know. For just like a man, he trusted his possessions to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. So you know, he didn't require something out of them they couldn't have. He said, this man has lesser ability, so I'm going to give him lesser responsibility. This man has greater ability, I'm going to give him more. This man has the greatest ability, and I'm going to give him the greatest responsibility. He's going to lay upon him according to that ability which I put in him. See, now, it's a very important point that the Lord makes here. If I have the ability to work 16 hours a day... And that's no harder for me than you having the ability to work eight hours a day, or put it the other way around, but I, I just know that I have some abilities that are very strong, physical, and certain, so forth. Then for me to say, well, you only work eight hours a day, so I'm only going to work eight hours a day. I mean, fair is fair, right? America is the land of great averages. The average American, and the average Christian, and the average worker, and the average salary. God never deals in averages. He deals in you. 
You as a person, he knows you, he knows you completely, he says, I gave you this. See, he isn't dealing with averages here. He isn't saying, let's say, five and two is seven, and uh, one is eight, uh, so that's uh, divided by three, that's a, not quite three talents apiece, so I'm going to average it over each of you have not quite three talents apiece. No, when he comes back, he will say to the one who had five, I gave you five. What did you do with five? With another one, I gave you two. What did you do with two? To another one, one, I gave you one. What did you do with one? So he's not going to say you all had an average of this. He's going to specifically require the exact amount that he gave. All right. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them. Now, he had some pretty good understanding. His Lord said, I'm going to give you these five talents, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to come back. Now you do business with it, make some money with this, and when I come back, I want to see what you've done. And he didn't say, praise God, goodbye, Lord, so forth. Well, Lord's gone. I don't know when he'll be back. I think we'll take a little vacation. I've got five talents. I'll tell you what I'll do. I think I'll spend one, because I think with the four, I can make eight, and therefore uh, that'll be three more than what the Lord had, and I need a vacation for a long time, so I think I'll do that. The Bible says, immediately... He got about his father's business, or his lord's business, want to put it that way. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them, gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, see the Lord gave him time enough to build those talents up, build them. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. All right. According to his ability. Five gains five. Double it. Now, not that doubling is the important thing. I'm just showing here a multiplication. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me two talents. That's all the ability he had to deal with. He didn't have the ability to deal with great sums of money, lesser sums of money. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. See, faithfulness was the, the important thing here. He did the best he could with what he had and what his abilities were. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. And you never find the Lord denying that. He doesn't say, no, I'm not. I'm very easygoing. No. I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow. In other words, you expect what you didn't reap. You hand somebody seed and you don't go out in this field and sow it yourself. You don't go plow the field. You own the field. And you give us a seed. And you expect more back. You don't expect the same thing. I knew that, he said. 
I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, see, spirit of fear instead of love, power, and a sign mind, and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And I'll tell you the whole implication of Christ's answer. He said, no, I do not. You did not give me back what is mine. You robbed me. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. That's the Lord speaking. See, I'm reading the Lord's direct words. You wicked, lazy slave. Oh, well, anything is all right. The Lord accepts us. He doesn't care. He just... No, my brother and sister. I tell you, as long as I believe that, I was a totally frustrated, non-producing, upset, messed up human messing others over. Now, I have something to say because I'm saying what the Lord says. And I'm saying, I don't want him to say to me... James Durkin, I gave you physical strength, I gave you mental strength, I put a gift of God, the apostolic ministry on you, I gave you people, I gave you my life and my love, I put my spirit in you, I live in you, I gave you promises, and what do you give me back? Nothing but what I gave you, you wicked, lazy slave. That changed my life. That transformed me from a saying, God in heaven, you're going to hold me accountable. I'm going to stand before you and account for. I'm going to account for my years. I'm going to account for my thoughts. I'm going to account for my words. He said that. Every word. Every idle word. Change my life. Hallelujah for these words. But I used to read right over. Oh, it doesn't mean that. Uh, here's the ones I want. These good words over here, see. Oh, these promises. Give me the. Don't tell me about the conditions. You wicked, lazy slave. The Lord say that? It's the Lord who said that. They. Now, notice what goes on here. You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. On my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. See, that was the least. He said, it's got to grow. God's law of life is growth. There's no principle that you can simply take from God and hand him back the same thing. No way. The law of life is growth. You plant a seed in the ground, it multiplies 30, 60, and 100 fold. You take animals and put them together, and they begin to grow. Humans begin to grow and multiply. The law of life is growth. Money properly used grows. Improperly used, it shrinks. Life improperly used passes away. Animals improperly used, no multiplication. Finally, death sets in. Seed improperly used just rocks in the ground or rocks in the silo or the barns. Not meant to do that. Meant to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. Until there's an abundant harvest to give back to God. Say, here, God is a harvest. You've given it to me and I give it back to you with joy. Then to hear the word, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. See, the principle here has to be understood. Change my life. Transform me. From being the, oh, well, I don't want to go back to my wife, and I don't know who to take care of my kids, and I don't know about the ministry, and I don't know about the, you know, I don't want to leave you, Rick, and I don't want to. So I became a soldier of the cross. And in becoming a soldier of the cross, I found the love of a good woman and the respect of my children in a ministry that's meaningful and a life that I can look back on and say, thank God for a life well lived and look forward to a life to come.
It's a different kind of thing. But without that, I'd still be the same mush-mouthed kind of preacher I was 25 years ago. The Lord knows, the Lord knows. And they said the same, I'm going to be held accountable. So therefore, I better render a good account of myself. Let's finish this particular thing here. Then you ought to put my money in the bank. I received it back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. The guy who has all this money, why give it to him? That's not fair. Jesus said, from my scale it is. See, that's why a person who's pressing on in Jesus, he just seems to multiply like this. And the other one's kind of like saying, why should he have all those things, God? What about me? Why are you partial to him? You're not, you don't do this to me. He says that all the time. God, you give other people, God, you, why God? I had this attitude. My little world that I did my thing in. Now it's an amazing thing when I turned around and said, God, I'm going to do what your word says. And I'm going to be an accountable man. You're going to be able to count, call me on that day and say, James Durkin, you knew that I was a hard man. Say, yes, I did, Lord, and that's why I worked like I did. That's why I... He's going to say, well, then you are a wise steward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your Lord. And bring me all those sheaves. I want them all. See, I gave you a life, James Durkin. What are you giving back me? To me. Well, I pray by the grace of God, I'm giving him thousands of times me. And I pray before this world is over and the foundations will lay into the next generation the Lord gives us, it might be a million that we'll give back to him in that day. That's what I'm aiming. I want you to be part of that with me. See, I don't want you to be like, oh, well, I'm just a Christian. I'm just doing my thing. No, enter into this. Be accountable. Let's work together. Let's build together. Let's go together. Let's go to the ends of the earth. Let's fill the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, once that's really in our hearts, amen, Lord, I'll do that. Whatever you want me to do. I say he may want you to stay here in Eureka. But that should never be any business of yours, whatever. Well, Lord, uh, you know, I'm willing to serve you, but I stay here in Eureka, right? No, that's not any of our business, whatever. Lord, I will serve you. Tell me where to go, what to do. You're the Lord. All right. Now, let's go on over here to Luke 19. And this is a very similar kind of scripture, but it's a different principle again. Slightly different, but enough to be read. Luke, the 19th chapter. But the end of it is going to be very similar. So I'm going to read through it rather quickly. You'll get the principle of it. Luke 19 and verse 11. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now see where their minds were. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. And they thought just walking around with him for three and a half years, he was going to go up to Jerusalem, bring the kingdom of God in, and they were going to sit with him on his throne. So they were going to be crowns put on their head and regents and so forth and so on, and they were going to be the rulers with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's the typical mentality of the average Christian. They've done nothing, just walk around three and a half years like this, and he feeds them, gives them food, and they say, go out there and get food, come back. He does a few miracles and signs and wonders and wonderful things, and they look at that and say, oh, wow, and he sends them out, they do a little ministry, come back. At the end of that time, we're ready, Lord. What are you ready for? The kingdom. You bring it in, we're going to be your rulers and... So I won't tell you, it's not going to be that way. And he said, I'll tell you how it's going to be. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Now, minas about a hundred days wage, about twenty dollars. Wouldn't be very much, but that was quite a bit in that day, the way they used money. 
do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In other words, he can come here and do miracles if he wants, but if he starts telling us what to do, throw the guy out. That's what they essentially said. They, For a good work, we do not, but because you claim to be the son of God, we're going to kill you. See, I mean, that, that's what the argument was. And it came about when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mind has made ten minus more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. Now I tell you what you're doing in your lifetime, you don't understand. You need to understand it. See, I know that what I'm doing here, I'm not ruling over any cities. What cities I rule over? I don't rule over any city at all. I mean, I don't rule over a city with a hundred people in it. See, not a city. No, in a sense, I rule over a congregation, which is the city of God, but that's a different kind of thing and a different kind of rule. But he's talking about we shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as a dashing a vessel in shivers and so forth and so on, that time which will come to the millennial age. Now, the interesting thing is this man, the slave, had never had any training in government. You don't see any place that he's, you know, trained in government. The son went to get the kingdom and return. It wasn't his kingdom at that time. So these slaves were just his personal slaves. But their training in the little things adequately prepared them for the very big things to come. Now, I tell you something. When you're faithful in a little thing, whether it be in your home or on a job, or if you're out at the lighthouse ranch, or you're a brand new Christian, or older, or whoever you are, when you're faithful in little things to do it well, you are training yourself for vast responsibilities in that age which is to come. Now, you must understand this principle. See, your life is not just some isolated event. You're kind of living here, and whatever you do here doesn't really matter, because you go to heaven and you're going to be forever with... There is coming an age, a thousand years at least, and how much longer I don't know, where we will be helping the Lord on this earth to rule over the earth and the populace of it. And what you do in that world to come depends on the little faithfulnesses that you're carrying out here. And some of them are not so little. They get bigger and bigger as he puts more and more weight upon you. If you're able to handle one mine, he'll give you two. If you're able to handle two, he'll give you ten. Ten, he'll give you a hundred. And the weight becomes heavier and heavier where you're being trained. But it's like little things you're being trained. You know, oh, I don't want to be trained to that. I want to be in charge of this. Or I want to be in... But the slaves had at least enough sense to say... If that's what our Lord wants, that's what I'm going to do. Now, wherever what a state you find yourself in, be content. Do the thing that God called you to do. Well, now that's see, that's what they went and did. Now, except for one slave, except for one slave, and he had a different idea about this whole thing. Now, verse twenty, and another came saying, "Master, behold your mina. I give it back to you, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you." Because you are an exacting man. Now, when I deal with people in, like I'm helping some people back in New York in business, I'm helping my son in business, this sounds kind of hard sometimes. Back there we were discussing this particular thing, and they gave me some figures. I said, I want a balance sheet, and I want a profit and loss statement for, I think, six months is what I asked them for at that time. That would be a normal thing. Then I'd want a year if that didn't tell me what I needed to know. And I said, I want a balance sheet, and I want a profit and loss statement. You want me to give you some help in the business? I want these things. And they come up with a couple of pieces of paper, and here, here, how's this? And I said, now, brethren, 
I said, uh, my time is not worth a lot. And maybe it's worth nothing. But I said, there are a number of people who do want me to give them whatever time I have available. Now, I said, I set aside here some hours to be with you, and I asked you for some things. And I said, you give me guesses. Now, if you want me to help you, I want exact figures. I want those things dug out. I don't care how long it takes. I want it put down, and I want to know it's right. See, I said, oh, man, that's no way to talk to brothers. Well, of course it is. I said it once very nicely. It's not like a balance sheet and six months profit and loss statements. I didn't get them. And I say, now you have to understand, if you want me to help you, I need facts to make decisions on. Get me those facts. They, now they stayed up one night, two other days or something like that, and when they came, finished, they had a well laid out profit and loss. Analyzed the problem, sat down with them, began to show them, but they, oh, they said, we see what to do, we need to do this and this and this, and then we could do this and this. See, once the facts were clear, they could begin to make decisions quite easily. And all I've had to do is keep, I'm an exacting man. I don't want guesses. I don't want, well, I think it's something like this. I don't know. You know, anything good enough would tell them anything. I don't want anything. I want to know when I want to know. I want to know. That's what Jesus said. He said, you knew I was an exacting man. You knew I hold you accountable. You knew I was a hard man. Where are those things? Where's your money back? No, he said, that's not suitable to me. Hey? Now remember, this is the Lord's words, not my words. I've adopted them for my own way of life. See, and sometimes I get, come down pretty hard on it. I want those things. You know, first, when I was dealing with my son in business, both of them, they were kind of loose. Now they're getting worse. They know what I want. I want the facts. I want the facts. See? But the result is the business is turning around starting to make a profit. Business back in New York made very sizable profits over the last few months. See, now because things have become exact. I wanted accounting. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what happened to that money. I want to know where it is. I want to know where this is. Everything is spent in a certain place. Nobody has the right to take a piece of money out of well, I think we'll put it over here. So you don't ever touch that money. When that money is in there, no one touches that money. Say, they said, okay, we'll obey you. The result is profitable business. Before unprofitable business. They said, well, that's very hard, brother. No, that is merciful love. If I say, oh, well, fellas, I don't care. Anything you do, it's all right. Disaster would have resulted. Exacting demand result is success. Say, okay, now, here we go. He said to this servant, I knew, you know, I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down. You reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I'm an exacting man? Taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Why didn't you do something with it? And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And I tell you, life is like this. If you're causing it to grow, multiplies. If you're trying to hold it stagnant, it shrivels and dies. 
That's the principle. I had to come to terms with that. See, I was not, I'm not very much of a disciplinary man on myself, or I wasn't. Now I am. But it's not discipline. Oh, well, move on. I began to say, listen, you better get on the stick, Jim Durkin, and do what the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to do, because that's where peace and happiness are. Now, turn with me to Luke 17. Now, he brings out another principle here. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. See, now sometimes we have this idea about God. Well, I went out there in the street and I witnessed, Lord, or I went over here and I counseled this person, Lord, and uh, so here I am now and uh, give me all these things. No, he says, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? The Lord said, Lord, listen, you've been sitting here all day long and I've been out working a field. Prepare something for yourself to eat. Or get somebody else. I'm tired. And I said, you. Prepare something for me to eat. I know you've been out in the field all day. Now you prepare something for me to eat. And properly clothe yourself. In other words, go take a shower, get that sweat off, and put on a clean garment. Serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded him, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, what a remarkable difference in attitude. Well, Lord, I prayed. Where's the thanks? Well, I prayed. Where's the blessing? Well, I gave tithes. How come? He says, hey, when you've done all, you want thanks? No, you ought to be giving me thanks. I gave you power to give. See, if I give my tithes, what does that show? Suppose I, I've made a thousand dollars for the month or two thousand or whatever, and I give two hundred or three hundred or whatever number of dollars I would give. I say, I gave my tithes. Where's the blessing? What does that show? I gave two hundred dollars. What does that show? I'll tell you what it shows. It shows the Lord gave me eighteen hundred dollars. See, I say, well, I never thought of it that way. See? I gave my money to the Lord. Where do you think you got the money? See, it was the Lord's gift. See, and I gave Sunday to you and I worked hard on Sunday, Lord. What about that? The Lord gave you seven days of life. Every day. And the ability to rest at night and recuperate that energy and get up and... See, we need to take a whole different approach. And that's what I had to do. I'm saying, I'm not giving you something to say, we now have to do it. I've done this a long time ago, and I know there are many sitting here who have already done this, but I know from what's happening in my own heart, and then I said, many of you have not. It's almost like we're getting away from a very fundamental principle that moved us in the beginning to see ourselves as accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this scripture here, you put that down in your book, Luke 17, 7 to 10. So you too, when you've done all this commanded, you say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, two other scriptures I'm going to give you. One longer one, one short one. Turn over with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 3. I've thought about this many times, and I tell you something, it makes me give thought every time I think about it. Meditation on it. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to start verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, now all of us are built on that foundation. Though this passage here is primarily to ministers of the gospel, it really applies in general principle to all Christians. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. See, six different building materials he's speaking about. Three of which can burn and three of which do not. Each man's work will become evident. Everyone will see it. For today will show it, 
because to be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, on that day, I'll tell you how it's going to be. It's going to be out of all the redeemed, and we're redeemed at that time. We're not talking about somebody going to go to hell or not going to make it or something like that. There might be a case where that is also true in another earlier period. But if we're there, we're there. At some point of work, the Lord's going to say, James Durkin, step out here. And I'm going to walk out like this. She's not going to be my wife out there with me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm right with the Lord. Don't you do anything? No. My children aren't going to be able to. My congregation isn't going to be there. I'm not going to be able to call on anyone else in this whole universe. I'm going to stand there. And I'm going to stand there alone before the Lord. And then we're going to look over there at whatever works James Durkin has built. Whatever part I've had in I will know I don't have every part and everything or even a, even one work to be built totally. But whatever part I've had, that's going to be there. Now, it might, it's going to be a pretty big pile. But I'm going to tell you then, the Bible says the Lord is going to turn on that works built, houses, whatever it is that's there, churches. He's going to turn a torch, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And if that's not built on real quality material, such as an exacting man would build. I'm not going to put this straw in here. I'm going to put a golden brick in there. I'm not going to put stubble in there. I'm not going to put wood there. That ought to be where diamonds should be put, or rubies, or pearls, or jewels are. Because those things won't burn. The quality is there. I say, oh, wood's good enough. The Lord knows them. Well, I'm a tar paper shack. Hallelujah. Plenty good. Uh, after all, you know, time and eternity waits for no man and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and he's going to turn the torch on that. And the whole thing is going to burn and smolder and down to, and maybe I've got a few little pieces there. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire for the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon and remains, he shall receive a reward. Now I tell you, I want a reward. And I want you to have a reward. Paul said, there's laid up a crown of righteousness for me, which the Lord should not only give to me, but everyone who follows him. That right way, same way he did. He said, I've labored more abundantly than they all. I've given myself to Jesus. I pursue that for which the Lord has laid his hand upon me. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He wasn't saying, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to get there anyhow, and I'm going to get a reward. We're all going to get crowns and white robes. We're all going to... No, it's not that way at all. As a matter of fact, Revelation 3.11 says, be sure that no man takes your crown. Takes your crown. You had it, then it's gone. Or you had the opportunity to receive it. It's there waiting for you, but someone else ends up it. Same way with that slave. Here's the minor back, Lord. Take it away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And some in heaven are going to have ten crowns. Or a hundred crowns. There's going to be others standing there with not a thing on their head at all. Oh God, I should have. That's right. Now we'll all finally find a place of peace and contentment. But throughout all eternity, the difference is going to exist. And that's what Paul understood, and that's what Paul was working for, and that's what you ought to understand, that's what you should be working for, exacting in your life. Then a lot of us would be thinking, well, I think I'm going to go here, and I think I'm going to go there, and I think I'll do this, and I think I'll... I'd be saying, Lord in heaven, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? 
I want you over here. Then, amen, Lord, that's where I'm going. I want you to do this, amen, Lord, then that's what I'm going to do. I want you to pursue this goal, then, amen, Lord, that's the goal I'm going to pursue. See, me first, Jesus said. God first, Jesus said. That's why when you hear me preach on purpose and vision, that isn't some like some theory Jim Durkin dreamed up somewhere. That's the whole gist of the Word of God. That we must be set to put God first. And out of it flows all these other things. Then he says, here's the vision. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the command of the kingdom. Or to make the church one. Or to live like Jesus lived. Be holy, for I am holy. That's not like, well, be holy if you can. But if you can't, uh, you know, be the best you can. And uh, there's nothing like that in Scripture. It says, be holy. I'm holy. Follow me. Okay. Now. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now there are other scriptures that I could bring, but I think I'm going to end up here. I saw that the plan of life is growth. Old age was not to be a sad decline, but a time of the application of wisdom to help others. You see, there's a principle about Americans that they're all backwards on this particular subject. The subject is that old age is a sad time of life, that that's something you should cry over. And I'm telling you, old age should be a man or woman's most glorious time if they have learned wisdom. The Bible says, with all of your getting, get understanding. All that a young person has in most cases, there's a few that have some degree of wisdom, but still they have no perspective that an older person can have. But what they do have is muscle strength and health of body and a, a mind ready to learn, but they don't have much in the mind yet. Now, they think they have everything in the mind they need, but they really don't. It's going to be thousands upon thousands of experiences and failures and problems of right application and study of wisdom, and the final wisdom begins to come together, and they say, oh, now I see how that works. Now I see what God wants. Now I see what to do. But what age has, though they have a declining physical Strength, oh, that's not always true. In Moses' case, it wasn't. But for most older people, it is. Declining physical strength. But they have the ability, if they have learned wisdom, to multiply whatever gift they have by ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, who knows how many. And so whereas they personally are not able to do what they used to be able to do. They can't climb as many mountains or swim as many oceans. But if they have rightly multiplied themselves in the Lord... Those which are out there doing it, though not as wise as they are, the sheer numbers alone, and the wisdom helping them to keep on the right track, will multiply that woman or that man's ministry or that church's ministry by hundreds or thousands of times. See, wisdom, which is a far more important thing in God's sight than just strength. See, sometimes young people say, man, I've got the strength, I can do anything. No, you can do anything that requires strength up to the limit of your strength. But that's all you can do. But wisdom can do anything. See, wisdom can utilize that strength and put it to work in the right way so that the whole earth then is a beneficiary of that strength and that wisdom. Now, if a person can understand that, they would be preparing for their older years. They wouldn't be saying, oh man, I'm going to live while I'm young and I'm going to have me fun and I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to... They'd be saying, the Bible says, with all of your getting, get understanding. With all of your getting, get wisdom. I'm going to apply, the Bible says, apply your heart to wisdom. See, if somebody say, Lord, you're an exacting man. You want me to have wisdom? You want me to use that wisdom well? And I say, I've set my heart to do that. And here, here I am at 55. And I say, well, you've got wisdom now. I don't think so. I think I have some wisdom. 
You know what I'm still doing? I'm still doing exactly what that scripture says. Apply your heart to wisdom. I'm still searching, still studying, still open this book. Lord, teach me. So that as my physical strength declines, the wisdom begins to rise like a... Okay. Old age is not a sad decline, but a time of the application of wisdom to help others. Life is not meant to be a zero-sum game where you just simply walk through it, nothing happened. You're born, you grow up, you get married, have two children, go on, die, go on. Zero-sum game. Came in two, still two. See, that's not what life is supposed to be. Life is supposed to be, as we pass through this earth, something changes because we pass through this earth. Not just, well, I was here and I don't know what happened, I'm gone. See, no, it's like I went through this life and the Spirit of God moved through me and God blessed me and I followed His truth and I did what He said. And Lord, I see the glorious things you work. That's what ought to be there. So we have something, Jesus, we stand before Him and He says, I gave you this ability, what do you give me in return? Lord, I give you thousands of new believers, I give you churches, I give you people, I give you blessing. I... That's what ought to be there. Instead of saying, well, here I am, Lord. Wait, no. He said, I gave you yourself. What do you give me more? Now that has to be. See, we have to settle for that. Okay. Just pass through. Don't bother anyone. Don't get bothered by anyone. No vast change is God's plan. Established work is his aim. Hallelujah. Now, is that pretty hard? It is pretty hard, isn't it? I want to ask you the question. Who was it that said the things that I said this morning? Can you say it? You afraid to say it? Say the word. That's right. It was the Lord who said it. See, not James Durkin who said it. I say, well, this is James Durkin. I'm telling you, you better get on a stick out there because you know what? I'm going to get the whip out. And... No, sir, Reed. You're never going to find me saying to you anything the Lord doesn't say if I know it. But see, when I know the Lord says it, then I'm sure going to tell you, unless you get off the track. Now, I tell you, every one of you that's sitting here this morning, that you need to weigh carefully. If your life is not producing what it should, if you find yourself frustrated and just, oh, the Christian walk, and I... I'm going to tell you what's wrong. It isn't that the Christian walk is wrong, or that Jesus is wrong, or that the Bible is wrong, or the Bible doesn't do what it says it will do. It's our own, our own not understanding that we are the Lord's bond slaves. And as such, or we're his sons, we're his children, we're his friends. All that is right, and that should be understood too. See, we're not just slaves, like you're a slave. No, we're a special kind of slave. We're a love slave and a bond slave and a son and a daughter to Christ and a daughter to God, yes. But there's a place where he says, but I put you here to do something, Jim Durkin. Do it. And I'm saying, you're the Lord. I'm your servant. I'll do it. And then I know that he's going to hold me accountable on that day. Now, when I know it, you know, a peace has come into my heart knowing that because I'm about my father's business. And if something isn't going right, I'm saying, that's why you, I told our elders many times when I sit with them, especially the mobile elders, but all of them, whenever we're together, I say, if anything goes wrong in this ministry, anything goes wrong in this ministry, I am accountable. Please. How could you be accountable if something goes on in New York or something happens in Germany, some guy goes crazy over there or something? That's my responsibility. And there's no way I can blame it on 
the elders in Germany or the elders in Guatemala or Nicaragua or New York or any place else. I may have to deal with them directly if they have not done what they should do, but I can't say it's not my fault, see, Lord. He said, I command you to establish churches in the earth, and I command you to watch over those churches. I command you to go to them and minister to them. I command you to exercise your apostolic gift. I command you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I can't say, oh, well, I turned it over to Jim Moore. So I, I don't have any more responsibility. No, I can delegate to Jim Moore. See? But I'm just as responsible as I ever was. He commanded me to do it. And I say, okay, Jim, I see in the Lord God's brought you to work with me. Here I share this with you. But I can't give it to him. I'm still totally responsible for it. I can never give it away, see. And when he has authority on him and he delegates, he can't give it away. He rests upon him. We're accountable. But being accountable, thank God, I go about my father's business, do the best thing I can, raise up the best men and women I know how, charge them with the same kind of attitude and heart and mind. Now, many people come to me and say, man, I'd like to be an elder too. Well, what do you want to be an elder for? Well, you know, i got some things to say, and I feel that uh, I want to be a, a part of the decision-making here, and I want to tell people, and I feel, hey, sorry, no way. Hey, i got enough things to be responsible for. Somebody coming around, oh, i got things to say, and I better get something from Jesus to say. Hey, I, want to, I find a man like that, so I just want to serve, I want to give, I want to follow, I want to do what the Lord wants, I want anything he wants, I'm willing to do it, anything you want, I'm willing to do it. I say, oh, that's the kind of understanding not too many people have. Let me talk to you. See, and then I may be uncovering an elder. See, I may become uncovering an apostle. I may be uncovering a prophet. I'm certainly uncovering a saint, a worker who's going to say, here I am, brother, sister, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do it. See, but that now, when that attitude is there, then something begins to change. You know, the blessing of God starts. Here I was. This guy kneeling down. God, why have you messed me up like you have? My ministry gone. My wife, uh, I'm uh, so lonely. My children, I'm so ashamed of my... Uh. God saying, you have disobeyed me. Not I have failed. You have failed. And then I'm saying, oh God, from this time on, I will do my best to practice your word and to obey you. Help me. And from that time on, miracle after miracle took place. My wife, my children, my ministry, my health, financially, everything. Until finally he could say to me a couple of years ago, ask me now anything that you need to make you happy, and I will give it to you. And I had to say, Lord, there's nothing I can ask you for. You've given me everything. The only thing I can ask you for, Lord, is let the earth be filled with your glory. Let souls be saved. Let the gospel be. See, so I'm taking his burden upon me now. Instead of where I was before, oh, God, I have to have this and this and this and this and this. Now, once I gave myself to him, and after I put all it, forget that. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And out of it has come all kinds of blessed good things. That's what I want you to have. I want when we're standing there, I don't expect my works to be burned up. I just flat out tell you, I don't expect them to be burned up, and I don't expect anybody to take my crown either, and that's not arrogance. I'm hot after the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm set to follow him, and I want to do what he wants me to do, and I don't care what it is, and that includes death itself. It doesn't make any difference to me. I just want to follow Jesus, see? And I want you to do that. 
And I'm telling you, there's a crown waiting for me up there, and there's rewards waiting for me up there. And on that day when we stand before there, there's going to be some of my works burned up for sure. But I'm going to tell you, the last 15, 20 years, not going to be a lot of it burned up. I've been pressing hard after the Lord Jesus, and I know a lot of that's filled with gold and silver and precious stones and not a bunch of garbage, because I've been hard after making sure it hasn't been built with garbage. I haven't put garbage into you, and I haven't put garbage into the ones that have gone before you. I haven't preached a bunch of fluff to you and said, Oh, fluty, 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 here's the word, and that's good enough. Give me your money. I haven't done it. I run the risk sometimes of losing whole congregations because I preach the truth. But I tell you something, I'm not building a garbage site. I'm building king's buildings. And I want the Lord to walk up and apply the torch to it, and all that comes out is burnished gold and beautiful silver and precious stones. And he says... Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many things. And I tell you something, I want behind me, I want my wife to step out there. Maybe she'll be there first. And I want you to step out of my children, to step out of the congregations that I've had a part in. And I want to hear, not even one time, what kind of a servant have you been? Why do you hand me this junk? What I want to hear is, one word right after the other, well done, well done, well done, well done, well done, well done, well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to hear out of your life. But if I'm going to hear that, you're going to have to set your heart to do the will of God. That's first. Now let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, that just as I asked you in the name of Jesus for the anointing before, And I ask you, Lord, that you would anoint the hearts of your people. And I ask you to give me a message, and I know that you have, for this people, this time, this place. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask now that these words find root in their spirit. And, Lord, they do not fall, as you've given us in Scripture, upon hard ground, trampled over ground. They don't understand, and the devil comes and takes the word away. Nor does it fall upon, Lord... The rocky ground springs up suddenly and people are ready to do it and then suddenly a little thing happens and then they turn away. Nor, Lord, does it fall upon thorny ground where weeds are in the ground it springs up and finally chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. But I pray, Lord, the word today fell on good ground, rooted deep, deep in where the roots can go down in that soil and it's moist and good and full of nutrition. Father, I pray that the word springs up the life eternal in them. Lord, they become mighty warriors, mighty soldiers of the cross. Grant that, Father. I pray in Jesus' precious name.